Welcome to the Staying Free podcast. This podcast seeks to give a voice to real people around the world who are attempting to stay free, stay sovereign, and stay sane in a world which is changing faster than ever. In this episode, I talked with Sarah Plumley. The reason I wanted to talk to Sarah is because she's into homeschooling. And I think that homeschooling has really come to the fore during this period because people are looking for ways to kind of exit the legacy system and homeschooling is one of those ways. So I thought Sarah would be an interesting person to talk to about that and she definitely has an interesting story of how she actually came to doing this kind of work. We actually ended up talking for a long time so I've done quite a bit of editing just to bring this down to a manageable size. Sarah has just a lot of passion and enthusiasm and what really came out for me is just how much she actually cares about deep kind of personal values that she obviously tries to um, nurture in the kids that she's uh, teaching. So I'll leave the rest to the conversation itself. And one more thing before I round off this intro is the Canadian Freedom Convoy that's going on at the moment, I think is just a really, really huge um, part of what's been going on for the past two years. And it's, in my opinion, the front line of this kind of battle for freedom that we're having. So I just wanted to mention that, you know, if you haven't donated to this thing already, I really think that this is somewhere that we should all be spending our efforts because obviously I know that most of you guys are from the UK, like most of my audience is from the UK and in the UK we're having kind of our freedoms, you know, somewhat given back to us. I know that we're not getting particularly excited about that, um, especially at this early stage, but the war is very much still waging on in other countries and at the moment Canada is at the centerpiece of that. So I think this is something that we should be supporting all over the world. Obviously, GoFundMe has already been compromised. Um, Give, Send, Go uh, looks like it's teetering and there is a court order to seize those funds as well. So this is a really, really good opportunity to buy some Bitcoin if you haven't already, or if you do have Bitcoin, use it and send it to the truckers. There's a uh, website called TallyCoin, uh, which is T-A-L-L-Y-C-O dot I-N, I think. I'll put this in the show notes in case I've got that wrong. And you can look at the Tallycoin Twitter as well. And they are giving um, Bitcoin to the truckers and it's going direct. There is no um, intermediary uh, and it's not going through the banking system. So it's completely unseizable. And this may be the only way that we can support the protest on an international level. So hopefully some of you, if you haven't already donated, then you will consider doing that because I, I really think this is an important battle that we kind of have to win and uh, we should all be doing what we can, even people who aren't in Canada. So as always, thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Would you mind just giving a bit of an introduction uh, to yourself, uh, my audience? Obviously, I know that you're into the kind of homeschooling side of things, um, but just a bit of background about um, kind of what brought you to where you are today and what you do. So from about the age of nine, nine and a half, I was really, really into all things theatre. It, it was, I think it was inevitable that I was going to end up at drama school one way or the other. For me, it was that that really... I wouldn't say I hate this this term. I, I had my awakening, but it, it wasn't that. It was it put the toe in the door. I'd been brought up quite um, you know straight laced, very ordinary upbringing, um, poorer than than you than you know average for sure. But nothing nothing very interesting. I didn't have alternative parents. God no. So I was lucky, damn lucky, because my drama school was a bit weird. It was a bit alt. And I think back to some of the acting tutors now and think, oh, my God, they knew all this stuff then. They must have been so frustrated with me because I was, uh, you know, I was considered to be 
I, I, I self-censored then, but th these are not my words. These are the words that were spoken about me. They said I was highly intelligent, highly articulate. They liked the way I worked. I was pragmatic. They must've been dying to, to like, you know, wring my neck and say, wake up because they must've seen the capacity for it, but I wasn't there yet. These tutors are very, very awake and aware. And they saved me really, because it, that was the toe in the door. That was the thing that just left enough of a window open, enough of a door open for me to go through it later, you know, a few years later. Um, it was my husband, my, my boyfriend then, husband now that really started to wake me up. So yeah, that's, I guess that's the, the journey to here. And then when all of this happened, I'd just finished my first play. I'd written some sort of one act plays, again, a bit of a cop out. And I, I just got my first full one done. A director in Manchester who I was very chuffed, uh, she wanted to direct it. We were getting some actors together to give it a first read through. And then all this garbage happened. From that moment, it was kind of, oh dear, you know, what, what now? And it, that's when I started focusing on homeschooling, really, because there are so many problems in schools. Schools are dangerous for children. Thankfully, in some ways, the um, medical tyranny that's happening now has started to get some parents going, hang on a minute, what's, what, wait a minute, what do you mean they have to stand there on their own? They're starting to see some of, the, some of what's been underneath in, in education for a very, very long time. Classroom teaching is not about teaching children. I used to say to the senior leaders at my school, please just let me teach just let me teach. It's almost like that they, they stop you. They, they do everything to prevent you from prepping and teaching your classes and being with the children. It's unbelievable. You, you kind of have to go through it to fully realise what's happening. It's completely backward, which is why I decided to go it alone. And I've been tutoring people who are in school, uh, been tutoring people who are private school, people who are uh, from faith schools, people who are from special schools, the whole range. Eventually, it, it's, I sort of realised that, well, the only way to end this and to make it never happen again, this nasty COVID nonsense and everything else that's coming down the line, is to sort the children out. It's to help the parents teach the children properly. If we, if we nurture and properly educate rather than indoctrinate the next generation or two of children, they can never pull this crap ever again. Because we ha if we do our jobs properly as parents, as educators, if we get the hell out of the schools and teach these children carefully, um, responsibly, teach them about personal responsibility, self-discipline, doing the right thing, it sort of dawned on me that that's the way out. That's the way we do this. And I think if we properly, properly teach the children not what to think, but how to think and how to figure things out for themselves, it stops this happening ever again. But whilst we still have the vast majority of children going to state indoctrination centres, and I am sorry, I'm sure Mrs Jones is really lovely, but the overall machine that they are part of is beastly and it is screwing up the children. Over, I've been watching very carefully over the last two or three years because I knew that in particular the last two, that what was happening in the world was going to have a really difficult impact, a terrible impact on teenagers in particular. If you think this is hard in your 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s, imagine how hard this is right now as a teenager. So I was acutely aware that this was going to be a difficult time. And the kids that have done well are all home, were all already homeschooled. They're not people who've withdrawn from school. They're people who never went to school in the first place. There have been no mental breakdowns from any of the kids that are homeschooled that I personally tutor. Whereas in the year, in the previous year and this year of the kids who go to school, 
almost everybody that has had either a breakdown or has had to withdraw from tuition for a time to recover because they're having psychological issues, quite understandably, because of what's going on. It seems that the homeschoolers, the people, the parents who've always homeschooled have better protected their, their, their children from this than those that are sending them to school. I think that a lot of people have seen through this period when it comes to the um, the schools, people are seeing, like you say, you know, kids having to wear masks in schools and this kind of stuff, kids having to kind of isolate from one another. They're not able to kind of, um, you know, meet with their friends, etc. Like, is, is this the kind of thing that you're talking about? Because I know that you, you said before there that this has been going on for a long time. So prior to this period, um, what is that kind of indoctrination that you're talking about? Because I, I I mean, I kind of sense it, but it's hard to exactly put a finger on it. It's, to me, when I see this, it's almost like you're kind of breeding out the um, kind of individuality uh, from kids and kind of like forcing them to be a kind of cog in a machine in a sense. But I'm interested to get your thoughts on how you would define that. Yeah, sure. The COVID stuff is, is it's a great it's like a picture. It's showing it's showing you the graphics. Oh, look, this is bad. This is what's happening in school. The masks, the distancing, the hand washing. You can see that in schools. What a lot of people have not seen, we have a huge, huge number of people in positions of authority within academia, universities, schools, and they have some really bizarre views about equity, quality and these kinds of things. It is dangerous. There is no balance any longer. If you're a teacher who votes conservative, you, you won't be talking about that to any member of teaching staff ever. It's, it's almost assumed that you all vote left of centre and, and often quite what I would describe as quite far of left of centre. Now, politics, people say, well, politics isn't important. I completely agree. Politics is organised crime, essentially, as far as I'm concerned. However, what we don't want is our children being subjected to people who only vote, for example, in the UK for Labour and, and the Lib Dems. That is not healthy. There needs to be a balance, a balance of politics in schools. I can remember not knowing what any, any politics of my teachers because it was considered unprofessional to share your politics. Now, what teachers are doing, they're not necessarily saying, oh, I vote Labour, you should too. I'm not saying they're doing that. They're probably not. But what they are doing is talking to children about how terrible Donald Trump is, for example. Now, I'm not you know, holding a candle for the Don, um, but he, this it's not okay to be putting your personal opinion onto a child as a teacher. As a teacher, you have a very, very special relationship with your students. That, that, that relationship where you are learning, where somebody in authority or perceived authority is, is imparting knowledge or is trying to develop somebody it is a special relationship. It's why you're not supposed to date your athletes if you're a coach. You're not supposed to date your students, even if they're 25 and you're you know, 35, whatever. You're still not supposed to do it. It's not the done thing because there's a power play relationship there. During that special time, if you are the teacher, if you are the coach, you have a great responsibility, a duty of candor and a duty of care. And professionalism has gone. You've, you've now got, you know, Black Lives Matter being talked about in classrooms in a very biased way. Should it be even be being talked about at all? Well, that's debatable, isn't it? Then you've got the LGBTQ stuff. And if you thought you've had hate mail before, you'll certainly get it now. It's not OK to be dumping that on children. There's apparently a very, very small, loud uh, lobby group um, that, that says they represent the, the trans community and, and that this is fine and whatever. 
Nobody in their right mind thinks that that's okay. What you do, who you sleep with is nobody's damn business. If you're an adult and you're in a, a consensual relationship, none of my business, good luck to you. But you don't dump this crap on children. It's, that is not okay. Stop pushing agendas onto children. The other thing that's happening is subliminal. Children are, p- are particularly like sponges. But even as adults, the reason that they're putting all these COVID adverts everywhere is because they work. If you know, it could be a a, a a thing on the on a bus, a banner on a bus. It could be a, a billboard. You think people pay for that and it doesn't work? The only reason those adverts are there is because they know that they're getting money. So these adverts work. Now, I tell you what, why don't you take a little look in your kid's classroom next time you drop little Johnny off, right? And you have a look at the posters on the walls. Any rainbow flags anywhere? And any people who look a bit funny with blue hair? Like, have a look at what this, your, your kid is taking this stuff in. Your children are being constantly advertised at and not by good people. And I'm not talking about people who identify as LGBTQ. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the lobbyists. This is not, that they are not able to speak for all the people in that community. I know that because I know people in that, who identify in that community and they are not very happy about the rainbow flag. Look also, I've, I've only spoken about this to a handful of people, the way in which they transposed the rainbow flag of the LGBTQ to the NHS. Oh, did you see that? Oh, oh, swap, 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 swap. How did that happen? So now, this again, this is my, this is conjecture. This is, this is what I think has happened. You now have a generation of very young children who drew rainbows for the angels at the NHS who were saving the world when this deadly disease was trying to kill everyone, including grandma. Now, if you question the rainbow in the future, if you say no to the rainbow flag, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who react extremely violently and negatively because when they were little, they were drawing rainbows for the angels and the heroes at the NHS. But that could be interchanged now because that rainbow flag belongs to the L- supposedly belongs to the LGBTQ people. I can't see that as a coincidence. Like, why? Why did? Why did that happen? Yeah, wh- where did the rainbow come from? That's an interesting question. I never, I never saw it before um, last year. I'd, I'd love to know the origins of where that came from. But for me, um, the what it reminded me of was, if you see, um, I don't know if you've kind of looked at kind of communist iconography, but especially from Maoist China, um, not quite often they have like healthcare workers or. Uh, you know, police officers or military, something in the foreground, and they'll have a really big stretched out um, kind of block color rainbow in the background, right? So they're they're in the foreground, they've got a rainbow in the background. And I saw that connection immediately. And it, it, I don't know many people who've, who've actually um, kind of made that same association. But certainly when I saw it, that was the first thing I thought of. Nice. Yeah, really good spot. Like it. Well done. It wasn't, haven't seen that. I haven't seen that at all, I have to say, but it's it doesn't surprise me one bit. The rainbow comes from God, doesn't it? Or the creator or Allah or whoever. The communist one's a really good one. I like that because for me, what they've done is, oh, we own that. We're God because the state's God in China. The state is God. They replace pictures of, of um, Jesus and whatever with with um, Chairman Mao, didn't they? They, they rip them out. Uh, to some, they're doing it. They're, they're still doing it supposedly now with the current effort. For me, these lobby, these these dangerous lobbies like the Black Lives Matter, the critical race theory lobby, the LGBTQ lobby. For me, that's all part of the state, and it's them. And, and taking the the rainbow is is saying that we're God. We have we we are the creator. It's ours. You bow to us now. And look at all the persecution of the Christian. I'm going to say Christian pastors because I haven't researched 
whether it's happening to imams or whatever. So I'm not saying it's not, but I just don't know. I do know it's happening to the Christian pastors because Rebel News has done a really good job in Canada of, of documenting it. So many of them have been arrested and jailed for the crime of keeping their church open during one of the greatest alleged crises you know, in living memory. The state go for the, the church people because they have a problem with anybody who worships a higher authority than them. God is a higher authority than the state to people who believe in God. And again, please put your own Allah, the creator, put whatever you want in there, Buddha. But what the state is doing is going after anybody who believes in something that's, that's a higher authority than the state. And this is why all this stuff is so dangerous. I, I had some I have a little bit of, of negative experience with these uh, so-called lobbyists. I had a big uh, powwow on Twitter a long time ago now, maybe last year, and uh, I, I was pointing out that the hypocrisy of some of the people who have um, rainbow flags in their bios, they have a rainbow flag in their bio and then criticise other people's relationships. It's like, wait a minute, I thought you were inclusive. Who, who are they criticising? What, what relationships? Uh, they were criticising like a staunch conservative relationship, like a, like a Christian, you know, where like the man is the traditional head of the household and the man makes the, it gets the final say on, on, you know, where to go on holiday, for example. So you've got like um, the, 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 the wife gets to have a say, but the husband's vote is the casting vote. And if you're in a team of two, somebody has to have the casting vote or nobody gets, the, the decision doesn't get made. Literally somebody with a rainbow flag had, had written, that's gross. And it's like, hang on a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, you can't say that that relationship is gross just because you don't like it. If you're going to wear a symbol on your, on your chest, you better be able to live up to it. You know, when I wore my three lions, I used to be a football referee as a, like a, an assistant referee for UEFA, like women's under 17s, under 19s tournaments. But when you wear that badge, that that is that is a badge of an institution that is that is bigger than you. If if you can't live up to it, don't wear it. Don't wear that LGBTQ flag if you can't tolerate relationships that you don't like. And we're not asking you to be in one. For me, if you, if you're about equality and inclusion and being sunny and happy and kind and having everybody equal, you have to be fair and equitable with, with people who have relationships that you don't agree with. You know, I got some really serious abuse as a, as a female referee, refereeing men's football. Of course I did. Can you imagine what they say when a woman rocks up to, to referee a Sunday football match between 22 blokes who play Sunday league? I got some pretty horrific abuse, it has to be said. I've never, never complained about it. I've never bleated about it. I've never gone on a march or cancelled somebody on Twitter because of it. You, you don't do, that's not the way you make progress. The way you make progress when you are discriminated against is to stand in, stand in your truth, your integrity, behave with honour and dignity, always, even when you're really getting disgusting abuse, behave with honour and dignity and do your job and do it well. The best thing you can do when you're getting uh, abused because you're a woman doing a man's job, so they say, um, is to be brilliant at it. It's to, it's to not make a mistake. It's to do the very best you can do every time you do a game. And it's, it, it's quite a lot of pressure. You know, you give a throw-in throw decision on the halfway line wrong. And, you know, that's, that's done it for, for the next five women who come along after you. It's, it's a huge responsibility. But you don't cry about that. You don't bleat about that. If you genuinely want to make progress and genuinely want to um, work towards a society where people see you as an equal and value as an equal, you better bloody well behave better than one. You know, we have to get back to personal responsibility and doing what is, you know, what is right, not what is what is easy or expedient. Yeah. And I think that this is something that is often mistaken because, you know, like I, 
like a few years ago, I definitely would have considered myself pretty left wing. And, you know, I believed a lot of these kind of socialist ideas. And um, now that I'm kind of on the other side of that, I actually recognize that what a lot of people misconstrue for kind of a right wing idea is basically just saying, just don't force your opinions on other people and just kind of like treat, you know, just let people do their own thing as long as they're not imposing on you and then you likewise don't impose on them. That is actually what a lot of it comes down to. But um, so many people will say, oh, well, that's uh, that's really right wing, right? Like um, like it's it's right right wing to, to just say, you know, you do you and I'll do me. This kind of comes back to what, what you were saying because it's like, you know, with these people who have got the, the rainbow badges and things like that, I'm, I, I'm not having to go uh, anyone for what they want to do. You know, like for instance, if people want to be trans or people want to be, want to be gay, etc. like I'm perfectly happy for everyone to live their life in a way that makes them happy, um, you know, and like power to them. But, you know, I shouldn't be expected to signal for them because I don't have any opinion really either way. Like I have, I don't respect you more because you're trans or because you're gay than if you're not. Like you get the, the same amount of respect from me. And this is kind of where we're at as a society now is that you're expected to treat people with um, additional levels of respect if they're from a certain racial group or a certain kind of, um, you know, sexual preference or whatever. And, you know, what most of the quote unquote right wing people are actually saying is just just treat people um, equally, just treat everyone equally and give people the freedom that they are entitled to. And that really is it. And you know, we've kind of created this very strange world now whereby um, that is considered to be an extremist view, where treating people equally is considered an extremist view. So now we've got kind of reverse racism. You know, now it's like, OK, well, you should have to give special preferences to people who are certain races, etc. you know, for, for the fact that they're that color of skin. And, um, you know, I think that probably you'd agree with this is that we're now in a place where it's where it's like, well, now we have to start taking consideration of people's skin color again. And it's like, well, you know, if we're going to not be racist, let's let's not look at people's skin at all. I actually had had like a job interview a couple of years ago and they said, by the way, we're, we're this organization that's trying to eradicate racism and this, that and the other. And, you know, we're going through this process. And I like for me, alarm bells are immediately going. I was like, oh, God. But actually what it was was they disguised my name. They disguised my picture, all of my identity. And they essentially made it impossible for the employer to be able to ascertain my race or my gender. And I was like, I'm all for that. I'm actually all for that, because as long as what you're doing is completely anonymizing, um, so that the employer is making a, a decision which eradicates um, race as a basis. Like, I'm okay with it. The problem is that is where you're saying, okay, we want to know your gender and we want to know your race and we want to know your sexual preference. So they can feed that information. They can say, well, we're going to fill the diversity quota. So as long as you're taking away information, not giving additional information which is going to come into the decision like i'm okay with it yeah a bit bit of a kind of like a, 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 a side topic but yeah essentially you know the, the crux of it is just treat everyone equally you know that's not a far-right idea that's not a, you know some crazy um you know right-wing nutjob idea it's just a basic um kind of standard that we should all treat each other by i'm not sure it's a side issue when you have the likes of Dr. Jordan Peterson standing his ground back in 2016 over Bill C-16 regarding the um, use of pre- like forced use of pronouns or whatever the crazy idea was in Canada, that you have to pay attention to that. Why is he why is he stuck his head over the parapet for that? It's called specialness. It's I'm special. I need special privileges. I need special reasons. I need special help. I'm I'm special. No, nobody is special. 
We're all special. Therefore, mathematically speaking, nobody is special. I tell you, every one of those refereeing appointments I earned, <laughs> believe me, I earned them. It was not easy. Many people quit. Many people fail. You know, go and referee women's football was, was you know, the, 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 the chant. I understand that. I understand why people say that, but I wasn't going to do that because I knew I was good enough to referee men's football and I was going to damn well prove it. And But if you're going to do that, you are going to get rocks thrown at you. If you are going against the grain, if you are going off the beaten path, you you better damn well be exceptional because you it's going to be difficult. When you do men's football, you do the men's fitness tests. And I completely agree with that. If you're going to referee men's football, then you do the fitness test that's required for men's football. You don't get let off a few laps because you're a woman. You have to meet the standard. Like I disagree with all this stuff in the army and, and then and the other armed forces where I, I did this fitness test for the Navy once. And I, I did this test with against the there was um, maybe four lads and two girls. And there was only two of us left in the bleep test. And I thought, oh, I'm really quite tired. And I had a game to referee at the um, in the week. So I was like, I should probably stop now. I've done really well. I can't remember what I got, but I knew I was doing fine. I also, I looked at the lad who was still in and I, I felt tight because I'd beaten him on quite a few exercises already that day. And I just thought, you know what? You don't really need to do one more beep on this bleep test. You've done enough. You've made your point, like drop out. I dropped out. And as I dropped out that end, he dropped out that end. So he must've been thinking, he must've been thinking, God, I hope she stops. But what was, what, what was interesting about that when they graded us, the lad got good, not very good. And I didn't get very good. I got above, off, off the top of the scale, like above excellent. And yet, yet we'd done the same amount of bleep. He'd done one more bleep than me. And yet he, he was like two levels below me on the Navy test because he was a man and I was a woman. Now, that's to me, it depends on what job you're doing. But if you're doing this job and this job requires this fitness level, I don't give a monkeys if you've got three heads, five arms. I don't care. You have to meet that standard. You have to pass that test. We've completely lost that. I actually think that's where all this, this, this COVID-1984 has come from. Because we are so weak and pathetic on average as, as, as people now, because we don't have that degree of personal responsibility that we that we that people used to have. We are not the people, we're not the men and women we should be. So I'm I'm not speaking about everybody. There have been some real heroes during this time. Of course there have. But a lot the vast majority of people are not real men and they are not real women. It's time to grow up, sort your life out, tidy your bedroom. You know, the, the man is right. I, I I quote him a lot and I know that some people in truth have some problems with, with Mr. Peterson, but nobody's perfect. And, you know, this, this guy has done an awful lot. And if you read him in his own words, if you read his books, he, he, he speaks a lot of truth. He really speaks a lot of truth. We have now have snowflakes teaching sn the next generation of snowflakes. This is going to go very badly. Your children are being taught to comply. They're being taught to go along with things that they don't think are right. You wonder why we are where we are. This is, this is, it's all come from here. All this compliance has come. We've all been through the school system. The way you parent your children probably has a lot more to do with how you were schooled and how you were parented by your individual parents. But where did they learn? They learn a lot of what they learn at school. They learn about teaching and authority. This stuff is happening in the school system. So one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast is because I think it's important to actually share ideas of kind of how to change things and i know that one of the habits that i get in these conversations is that we rant about the way the the problems 
and I don't ever feel like I'm dedicating enough time to the solution. So where do you think um, our efforts should be here to try and change this cycle? What, what do you envisage as the kind of world of education to, 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 build, to break the system um, of kind of creating just kind of compliant drones and move into a system of people who are actually, you know, um, kind of independent minded and, you know, care about things like self-sovereignty and about hard work, et cetera, and all of these kind of values that you're advocating for? Brilliant question. And the most important one, of course. First job, we are here to train Jedi. We're not here to program bots. School program bots. We train Jedi. And when I say we, I'm talking about parents who are awake. I'm talking about teachers. There's not very many who are awake, but there are some. And I'm talking about people who don't even have children. You don't have to have children to have a massive impact on young lives. There is lots of opportunities in coaching, in teaching, in tutoring, in music, in sport, in drama. If you are awake, get involved with children. Get, get, do something, teach something, learn a new skill and then teach it to somebody else. If you're teaching a skill to little children, you don't even have to be brilliant at it yourself. You just have to be good enough to help somebody start. And what we do is we get with stop sending your children to the programming indoctrination centers. Stop sending your children. You're giving up the most precious thing you will ever have a relationship with in your life to the beast system. I know that Mrs. Jones is lovely. I know the class five teacher speaks with a really nice voice and I know she's kind and caring and considerate, but that is exactly why she's dangerous because she cannot protect your child from all of the stuff that is going on in her classroom. The posters on the wall, the BBC freaking news round that they play to the children that you are sending your children in somewhere to be programmed. The first thing you can do is stop doing that right away. You don't have to be a trained professional teacher to teach fantastic lessons at home to your children. Oh, but they're friends. They'll make friends anywhere. Children make friends at the freaking petrol station when you're really, really late and you really wish they weren't making a friend. You, children make friends on holiday when you know that, oh my God, they're never going to see them again and they're going to be really upset. Children make friends anywhere. What we have to do is we have to open young minds. We have to facilitate their learning. We have to talk about, we have to give them moral dilemmas. What happened to moral dilemmas? All the Bible, all the great um, teachings of, about morality and ethics that come from books like the Bible, that's just been thrown out. Oh yeah, religious, not science, is it? Boom, gone. You've just, but you've just thrown away the, the really important parts of life the doing the right thing, even when it, even though it costs you, the idea of helping someone out, even though nobody wants to be anywhere near them, nobody likes them, everyone's bullying the smelly kid, going and helping the smelly kid out. Where where are all all of this learning has just been lost, and it's been lost in such a short amount of time? That is not okay. Getting what we have to do is we have to get involved with with parents who have awake children. So if you don't have kids of your own, go and volunteer, do something. It's not about, you know, I'm not saying red pill them. You don't need to red pill children. All right. Children are actually born very, very open. You don't need to be talking to them about scary stuff like 9-11, like stop with the fear porn. OK, it's the, the, the BBC do that. We don't do that. As truthers, be careful with what you expose children to at a young age. The best thing to do is to expose them to um, exercises where they get to think, where they have to think about the different points of view. It's very helpful to make children argue the exact opposite of what they believe. It's a really healthy exercise. It's as old as the hills, but we've stopped doing it. Yeah, because everyone thinks the same now. 
It's that's not that that's the problem. So for me, I actually think that the people who are children now are the ones that are going to end this stuff forever. If they're being educated in school, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to be awake enough and not tarnished by what is happening. I, I keep reading things on uh, on Twitter with parents saying that, you know, my 14 year old has, has not mentioned anything about the jab. He didn't want one. He's come home from school and asked me to sign the form. Yeah. Yet they work on them at school. Like these children look up to teachers. They look up to teachers and most of them aren't worth it. Certainly not morally, ethically, and in terms of, of, of you know, being a, a good role model. They, they, just, they just spout their own politics and, and, and push their own agendas onto young people. But your kid is looking up to them just because you're awake at home and you talk, you know, openly to your children. It doesn't mean that the, that the indoctrination isn't still working and the, the, advertise, the government advertising machine isn't hitting them all the time. They're there for five, six, seven hours a day. How much time do you spend with them? It's about being a good role model, being a good person. How do you do that? Do the hard stuff, do the hard yards, tidy your freaking bedroom, make sure you put smart clothes on when you go out to meet people, uh, you know, do, hold doors for people, smile at people, be kind, even if someone's being a complete tosser to you, rise above it, go and just go and do something, go and dig some vegetables with some kids at an allotment. That, do you know what? They're the real heroes, aren't they? People who are actually do physically doing something in the real world. And that, that's another one, isn't it? Get them off the get them off the games consoles. This virtual, that, what's that horrible, me, is it the metasphere? Metaverse, yeah. yeah. What yeah. the hell is that? Get there. That's that's your second life because your real one's going to be so bad soon. You're going to want to be in in that freaks, what is he, Zuckerberg. You're going to want to be in his freaky little world. Well, yeah, that, that, is, that is where it's going, right? I mean, like, it, we, we're kind of at this point now where it's like, well, if you shut down all of global travel and if no one can afford a, 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 a decent home because BlackRock owns them all or whatever, like, what are you left with? Or you put your headset on and there, there you have your mansion, you know, you put your headset on and then you can go to the Bahamas. Like, this is kind of the world they're creating. It's like, just take everyone's freedoms in the real world away and then get them to accept the metaverse as a kind of solution to that. Because in the Metaspurs, you can have an unlimited number of lieutenant commanders. I'm, 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 I'm a lieutenant commander, don't you know, in Her Majesty's whatever. No, you're not. You're a loser. You're a loser who lives a fake life in a fake world full of fake. No. Do you know who the real heroes are? The local cricket coach. He's 65 years old. And every Saturday morning, he goes out to teach the absolute no-hopers uh, how to avoid bowling a long hop. These are the real heroes. It's not about the hand you get dealt. Yeah, it's not, it's not about the cards that, you, that you've been given. It's about how well you play them. The honour and the dignity is in having the worst hand in the world and doing your best with it. That, that's what matters. They're the, real, they're the people that you really look up to and, and, and truly admire. People who get up every day to do a job they don't like, to, to give their kid a better chance, a better shot at life. They're the, they're the real heroes, not these fools on television with the, the car, all the cars and the gear and the bling and the... If you, if you are somebody who all you can manage to do right now is to walk around Tesco's without a muzzle on your face, then well bloody done because you're doing it right and you're doing something real in the real world. And I know it's intimidating, especially if you're, you go to a kind of Tesco's where they're all doing 
doing the brunch Covidian thing. I know that's hard. Do you know how I know that's hard? Because as a freaking female football referee in men's football, it's bloody difficult. You're on show all of the time. I know what that, I know what that's like. And it is hard. And if you're doing that, you're a real hero, man. You, you're doing it. You, you are, you are living the example. You're living in truth and you're standing for what's right. And that, they're, you're the best. You already are the hero of the story. You already are the best sort of person. Doesn't matter that your, your shoes are old or you, you've got a horrible anorak on because you can't afford a new one. That crap doesn't matter. And anybody who doesn't matter and anyone who doesn't know anything knows that that doesn't matter. It's 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 about the, the content and the quality of a man and woman's character. That's what life is about. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that that's something that so many people have come to through this period is that a lot of the kind of you know quote unquote awake um you know for for lack of a better term is because the the kind of commonality of people who are in who are in you know that kind of category i guess is that they they kind of are prepared to go against the grain you know they're they're prepared to say you know what like i'm not going to just fall in line with all of this stuff um i'm going to take a stand and i'm going to do like what's what's right and what's actually difficult um you know because a lot of people they're just like you know, they'll say something like, oh, just wear a mask. It's so easy. Why is it? What's so hard about wearing a mask? It's like the point is not whether it's hard. Exactly. If anything, it's much, much harder not to wear a mask. Like I guarantee that I get far, you know, like, I mean, not not at this stage now. I, I really don't care. But certainly at the beginning of this, you know, not wearing a mask brought up a lot of anxiety in me. It was like, OK, I'm going to be the only person going into the supermarket without a mask on. You know, sometimes I was being like accosted by by the staff or whatever. Um, it's much harder. It's actually the hard thing is to wear a mask. It's not, it's so many people say, oh, it's so easy to wear a mask. I know, yeah, I know it's easy. Of course it's easy. It's very, very easy. It's, that's the easy life. But that isn't going to, um, you know, lead to lasting change if you just continue to just kind of surrender to all of these diktats. Um, you know, you're you're enabling this this whole thing to continue. When is doing the easy thing ever the right thing? Unless you are willing to have humility then you're nothing. You're nobody. Doing what's easy. How can that ever be right? It was easy to be a Nazi, wasn't it? With old Adolf. That was much easier just to give the old uh, bit of a goose step and a freaking Hail Hitler salute. Of course that was easy. Everyone was doing it. And it's never right. It's never right to do what's easy. I mean, I mean there's, that, there's that famous picture of, you know, the, all of the people giving the Nazi salute and there's the one person who's not doing it. And, you know, again, like when you when you bring bring stuff like this up and, and, and compare it to stuff like the person who doesn't wear a mask, that people will be like, wait, are you are you comparing people who wear masks and Nazis? No, no. What you're comparing is the kind of mentality and the um, the fundamental idea that like doing what everyone else is doing just to get along. If you don't fundamentally believe it is wrong. Like that's the only thing you're comparing. Right. You're comparing a very, very small part because people will you know, really complain whenever you use these analogies. But I do think that they are they are valid when you use the proper context of them. And, um, you know, it, like it's a very small thing not wearing, um, you know, not wearing a mask. It's a very small thing to say, I don't agree with this agenda. Right. And with all of these things, you know, whether it's the Nazis, you know, in, in Maoist China, they they did something where, for instance, they would uh, people who didn't who did something that the re- regime disagreed with. They would have like a dunce hat put on and they would be they would be like publicly shamed and their, their family would be brought in. The family had to even had to kind of shame them, etc. And these things start off um, smaller and they grow bigger. Right. So 
the mask isn't is isn't the end game. The mask is where it starts, and it is a symbol. It is a kind of symbol of saying, okay, like I will be a conduit for this fear. You know, I will kind of show that I am doing my part, etc. For 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 this cause, even if you don't believe in the cause, it's like, oh well, I'll, I'll make other people feel feel okay. It's like, well. Do you know what? Like, if other people have irrational fear, and that they're kind of, you know, you're you're actually aiding that. You know, my my belief is rather than um, because I hear this often, even by some people who are more on the kind of truther side, they will say things like, "Oh, well, you know, I don't agree with this, that, and the other, but I wear the mask not for my own good, but I want other people to feel safe and stuff." And I say, "Well, do you know what that person needs more than you making them feel safe? Is they want the truth. Like, give people the truth." right? And you are denying them the truth by going along with this stuff, by just saying, oh, well, you know, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it for them. It's like if someone comes to you and says, um, you know, do like, uh, says, do you think I need to lose weight? And they're 15 stone. The right thing to do is to say, yes, you need to lose weight, not to say, um, no, you don't need to lose weight. I'm going to make you feel better, right? Like we need to actually have um, standards in society where we're supposed to be in service of the truth, not in service of making people feel better, because that starts off benign but it grows like a cancer it's indulgent isn't it it's indulgent behavior stop indulging crap behavior if you see something tell them say hey that's not on that's not okay it it comes back to discipline it's been you know drummed into us that uh, discipline is bad that you you mustn't ever you know you can't tell children off these days you're not allowed to issue lines in many 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 schools in the uk it's considered child abuse these days and this is it's a huge, you know, we, we learn discipline from our parents so that in later life we have great self-discipline because that's that's what's going to help you to lead a really good and fulfilling life. Even if you've been handed a crap deck of cards, if you have great self-discipline, you will have good habits. If you have good habits, you will be able to make the best of however sorry or little lot is. It's completely about it's 100 percent about standards. You know, people who say, oh, it's it's a, it's only a mask. It's only. A, no, it isn't. It never starts with the freaking mass executions, you moron. It starts with the little things. Then they get you to do a little bit more. Then they get you to do a little bit more. I think the book's called Ordinary Men. I hope I haven't made a mistake. Yeah, no, that's correct. Ordinary Men, it's, it's on Peterson's um, epic reading list. And it's about the um, the guys, I think they were, were they Polish and they, they did some unspeakable things. They were just regular police officers, but they got turned into these monsters little by little by little. It always starts with the small stuff and you're just avoiding the hard stuff. You're doing what is easy uh, and, and what's expedient, not what's right. Don't ever do that. Stop doing things that aren't right. I had a, 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 a very big falling out over this very thing. There's somebody that I sort of knew quite well-ish who was on an executive board of a very famous company that deals with concerts, like pop concerts and, and you know, tickets for big concerts. And I'd, I heard a rumor from my conspiracy theorist friends that um, there was a, this was back in, the 20, in 2020, that they were going to make you Uh, show proof of vaccination status to go to a music concert or a music festival. Right. And I was like, what? So I got on the on the emails to this. um, Let's call him a a business colleague. Let's call him a colleague. And I said, is this true? Because I I knew that this person had a, a level of directorship at this company. 
And he said to me, yes, it is true. And no, it isn't. It's he basically said that the it's about insurance. And there's a thing called COVID insurance now, and it's really expensive. And if you don't get the, the, the punters to show their proof of vaccination status, then the insurers won't insure the, the, con- the, the concerts. The promoters are going ape. The promoters of the artists are going ape because they can't get insurance. Well, first of all, that's absolute insurance is a load of absolute garbage because you cannot prove where an outbreak of the virus came from. It's not possible to prove it. If you could prove that, oh, he gave me the flu and I, I missed four months of work, they'd be suing each other's asses. And I, you know, I've read I've read some stuff from from US lawyers that explain why that doesn't happen because they can't find patient zero. Finding the outbreak is almost impossible. Let's remember that it is only believed that influenza virus is spread from human to human by droplets. That's from a, a CDC medical study. I'll send you the link afterwards. It literally says in it, you might have already read it, but the thing that I, I fell off my chair when I read this in May 2020. It is believed that viruses are spread from human to human by droplets. They don't even know. Citation required. They have never proved that. And therefore, all this stuff about insurance is complete garbage because you can't prove, even if there was an outbreak and loads of people got sick and died after going to see, I don't know, Elton John. And I, I said to this guy, I said, are you kidding me? He said, what, 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 don't you think it's okay to show that you've had the vaccine? The vaccine? This is, I'm not even sure the vaccines were out at this point. They hadn't actually been created. Well, they probably were already made, weren't they? But they, they hadn't been, they weren't publicly out at that point as, as, as being available. He said, to be honest, as, as, I, as long as I can get some cash flow going and my guitar back in my hand, uh, it's all good by me. I was shattered. This is somebody I looked up to. It was somebody that I was trying to learn from, actually, in a coaching capacity. And I, I couldn't believe that he he put um, cash coming in and, and playing his guitar to an audience on a Saturday or, or, or Friday night as higher than, than people being forced to have a vaccination in order to attend a concert. Like, I just... I, I had a real I had a real bad time with that because why didn't you say something? You you were in that meeting. If you'd stood up for what this this person claims to be a Christian as well. And that really, that really, that really got my goat. Because if you're a Christian, then you should not be focused on your, your own ego and, and making a load of money. You you should be focused on standing up for for you know not having a new version of apartheid. It's not okay to ban somebody from going to a public event because of something that is or is not on their medical records. Are you insane? So I, I literally said, look, you profess, you profess to care very deeply about um, Remembrance Day, about the soldiers who gave their lives or believe they were given their lives for our freedoms. How can you say that on the one hand? Because he always makes posts on, on Facebook about Remembrance Day. And fair enough, he, he does know somebody, I think, I think, who who was was killed in, in in either Iraq or Afghanistan? I think it was Afghanistan as a you know as a a UK a, a British soldier. How can you take on all of that sadness and 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 make you know public statements annually about how important it is to remember on Remembrance Sunday and Remembrance Day on the eleventh of the eleventh? Of course it is. But how can you say that on one hand and then think it's perfectly okay to have a, a vaccine mandate for attendance at a concert? 
on the other. These people literally gave their lives so that you didn't have to show your papers to the Nazis. And I, I'm not sorry for making that comparison. I'm never going to be. How, how can you? These lads and, and, and lasses gave their lives. They believed they were giving their lives for our freedom. That's the freedom to not have to show your papers to the to the whoever, to the Nazis or the spotty kid on the on the kiosk at gate three. Like, I, I just couldn't. Just on that point as well, because, you know, I hear a lot when people say, um, oh, well, you know, it's not the same because it's not apartheid because you can choose to get the vaccine, right? Like, I hear this argument, argument made a lot. And you, that, that argument literally falls apart instantly when you consider that most people would agree, right? Whether or not you you believe truly in in religion or this or any other. Most people agree that you choose your religion, right? So are they saying that religious based segregation is not segregation or apartheid? Like are they are they therefore saying, well, if you if you you know if in you know somewhere in this country, let's say someone arrives who's a Muslim, and you turn them away and you say, no, I don't serve Muslims, right? Are they saying? Are they arguing that that's not segregation because you can choose to not be a Muslim? I mean, it, that argument is just so illogical to me that, I mean, it, it takes thinking about for five seconds to realise that it's a total load of bullshit. So that's a fantastic way of putting it. It's, I completely agree with you. It's spot on. I completely love how you, how you phrased that. It's totally illogical, totally irrational. I would expect nothing less from these branch Covidian religious zealots. But... Even beyond that, even if this vaccine was the elixir of life, the answer to eternal life, I still don't have to take it. You still shouldn't make any, it's still their choice. If I was, a, if I was dying and uh, this potion could save my life, I still don't have to choose to do that. If it's God's will that I die, I die. If I, if I, if I choose to believe that, then you will not make that medical intervention. Or you have to take it to protect me. No, I don't. You do what you want to do to protect you. I'll do me. It's not this idea of, oh, you have to do this for me. No, no, because where does that stop? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, like that is, it's people seem to be thinking, oh, well, you have to do this to protect me. I mean, if your response, if your influence and your, yeah, your influence over other people literally extends beyond their skin you've just enabled literally anything. Like if you're saying, oh, well, you know, I should have the freedom to basically inject you and inoculate you um, against your will. That's a freedom of mine. Well, you've just said that your domain of influence not only is your own body and your own skin, which is what it traditionally always has been, right? Or your own property. If you own a property, people can't come into that property, right? And you're certainly your own body. If someone, if someone touches you, that's why, you know, if someone grabs you, that's assault, right? They've taken physical hold of your body. Certainly, if someone punches you, you know, kicks you, etc., it breaks the skin. This is an infringement on the body. But suddenly, people think that it's okay to, you know, puncture someone's someone else's skin with a with a vaccine against their will. I mean, mandate. You know, these ideas of vaccine vaccine mandates and stuff are such a violation of um, bodily autonomy. I just don't understand how people can't can't see it. You can't say hurty, hurty words to somebody on Twitter, but you can jab them with whatever the F you like. So I tell you what, instead of a needle, how about I get a bigger needle? It's called a knife. It's not a problem, is it? What about my sword? It's only like a really, really, really big needle. Can I just lop your arm off? Well, in, well, interest, interesting you say that, actually, Sarah, because, um, you know, I've made this comparison that if it's fair to 
give someone a vaccine that they don't want to take against their will to protect you from a, from a virus, right? If I need a kidney, let's say, why is it not now okay for me to take, to literally hold someone down, perform a medical procedure, you know, we'll do it safely, we'll do it in a, in a clinical environment, etc., and take that person's kidney and donate it to myself because, you know, technically, like, you know, they, sh- sh- like, if bodily autonomy, autonomy counts for nothing, right, this is where we're going to end up. We're going to end up in a situation where you say, um, like, you can give me a kidney and you can potentially save my life. Well, I'm sorry, like, even if they can, even if they've got two perfectly healthy kidneys, they can give you one of them and then you can both live for the rest of your lives. Doesn't mean it's right to take it because we have this fundamental principle. Um, so, you know, like, you, you joke about, like, you know, taking the knife to the body, but this is where I think that society is going to end up. And this is, incidentally, um, where China is already, because this is where kind of communist thinking gets you, is that in China now, they are actually taking the organs of some people and, you know, removing them, um, in particular, the um, kind of, uh, I, I forget how to pronounce the word, but it's, it's, I think it's like, God, the, the Muslim population, I, I forget how you pronounce it, Yoga, Yohinga, oh, I don't know. Anyway, but they are physically removing their um, organs and yes. donating it to other people, right? Because Sterilizing they're them too. Right, and sterilizing them, etc., and th- that's that's the logical conclusion of this. So yes, it might seem somewhat benign, obviously not to people like us. Um, things like vaccine mandates and you know coerced vaccine, etc. But once you've crossed that Rubicon, there's not there's no breaks until you get to organ donation, you know, forced blood um, transfusions, people being forced to give their blood, people being forced to donate bone marrow, donate hair. Where do where does it end? Like this is why we have to right now defend the principle of bodily autonomy here. Because this is the beginning, right? Like this is this is um, this is at the moment we're we're still on that line. But once we go past it, like that's going to go very very far, and it's going to become dystopian very quickly. Like these people are not thinking. If you can forcibly inject somebody with something they don't want, then why can't you be forced to get get on that treadmill for an hour a night by the state for your food tokens? Like okay, we'll have, might have to take the food tokens of the state out of it, but essentially. You, tell you what, you do those five miles for 21 nights uh, and then then we'll come back to me and we'll have a conversation about, because they don't really want it that much. They don't want it that much. And I'm not just talking about people who are large and don't like to run. I'm using that as a, as a you know, a small example of something that they don't want to do. They, they want to do, they're happy with the injection thing because it's easy. They just sit there and, oh, that's it, it's done. It's not hard. Doing the, doing the easy thing is, is, is never the right thing to do. I'm I'm glad you got back to to the, the positive note on the end then because I want to start I want to start rounding this up. Um, so before we do, please let people know where they can find you and just give us some final wor- words as well because you know I've really loved some of these um, kind of uh, like some 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 of your 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 commentary during this is a bit more on the on the on the positive side and stuff it's kind of like i guess you know i can tell that you you've you've read peterson and i'm not sure whether this was your personality before reading peterson or or, or whether it's since then but certainly i you know i really like um a lot of your approach in terms of you know just just trying to motivate people um from a point of view of you know improving their lives and stuff and i really like what you were saying before about you know it's not about trying to have the perfect life it's about using the tool using where you are now and, um, and and trying to kind of do better. So I guess to kind of round that up into a, a concluding question would be uh, what's your like f- final message that you can give to, to try and kind of help us to, to move in the right direction out of this mess? Wow. Um, 
and Bon Christian. Yeah, good one. I First of all, you can find me at Substack. I'm Sarah Plumley uh, at uh, substack.com or sarahplumley.com. My website's now up. And I do primarily homeschool. I help parents figure out how to do homeschooling properly. That's my main thing. I'm also obviously a professional teacher. So I'm, I'm helping people protect themselves from the local authority and you know the elective home education officers, stuff like that. So if you are remotely interested in help education or helping young people, yeah, get in touch with me and um, I'll, I'll show you what I'm, what I'm doing and, and share resources and help you out. In terms of uh, rounding off um, the, it's so it's so simple. It's so so simple. You only have to be a little bit less crap than you were yesterday. Just just you as an individual in your life. I was yes, I've been heavily. I think I've been sort of. I've, Peterson has polished or, or chipped the rough edges off. Peterson has polished me. He's made me go. Yeah, I'm not doing enough. I need to be better. And it's it's kind of reaffirmed for me, what I've always thought. He said things that I couldn't say very well. And so his 12 rules for life in particular has really spoken the words that I couldn't quite, couldn't quite grasp and put together for myself. Look at something that you are okay at, something you're reasonable at and get a little bit better at it and a little bit better at it. And and just watch as opportunities start to come your way, you've got no money. Okay. Uh, get, start, you know, growing potatoes in, in the tiny little piece of back garden that you've got, dig up the lawn and grow some spuds and, and learn about it. Read about it online. People will naturally follow you if you are doing the right thing. And that doesn't mean that you're giving loads of money to charity. It doesn't mean that you're hosting barbecues every Friday night. That's not necessarily the right thing. Doing the right thing is, is, is doing what's hard not doing what the easy, don't take the easy way out, do the tough things. If you start to live less badly, you can't even begin to realize the knock-on effect that has. And it's, it sounds crazy, but it's not. We are, we're all connected. We're all ex- individual expressions of one consciousness, right? And there's a lot of us not doing the right thing. And, and I mean, in small ways, it's the small stuff. If you nail the small stuff, the masks, no. If you nail the small things, the really big monsters never assemble. And, and, and actually, you know, this COVID-19 hoax, it, that is the great monster. And it's all of our fault. Even as awake people that are fighting really hard and doing 90-hour weeks and, and, and doing crazy amounts of things for free and not being able to pay our own bills, it's, all, it's our fault as well because we're part of that. So if, if you are in a real mess right now, here's two things that you can do. And they're not, they're not from me. They're from, the, they're from Peterson. He's a genius. Go to bed, go to bed at the same time every night and make sure it's a time where you can get at least eight hours sleeping. Just do that and eat breakfast. Why? Because that reduces an amass- a huge number of people from clinical levels of anxiety to normal levels of anxiety. Once you have that habit, you can acquire another good habit. You have to trust in the process. You have to understand, you have to believe that your life will improve if you start doing the right things. We're here to learn to be better and anyone can do it. Anyone can play the game anytime they want. Pick something and freaking do it. Do it every day. Awesome, let's end on that note. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure, thank you for having me, cheers.